remember playing Light as a Feather when you were at a sleepover? It was quite popular when I was a kid. For those who are unfamiliar, it works like this. One person is the feather and lies down face up on the floor. Each person in the circle places two fingers from each hand underneath the feather. And the person at the head, the spirit master, starts chanting. The wording must follow a specific pattern. The feather is sick or injured, getting worse, dying, and finally dead with everyone else chanting each section after the spirit master speaks it. The goal is to get enough help from the spirit world to be able to lift the person in the air towards heaven, with each person only using his or her fingers and a light touch. Sometimes it worked, other times it did not. We believe spirits were helping us when it worked, and that no spirits were around to help when it failed. The last time I played was 50 years ago. This is the first and last time I will ever write about the events of that last summer with my friends. I was 15, and 72 promised to be the best summer ever. Beck had been my best friend since we were 9, and I was going to spend the summer with her. Both our mothers worked a lot, and this way, we would be together and keep each other company. My mother and I did not have a good relationship, and I'm sure she was happy to have me away for the whole summer. Not nearly as happy as I was, though. Beck's mom, Dee, dated a lot, so we would also have the place to ourselves most evenings, and I couldn't wait for Beck and I to have so much freedom. There were two girls our age who lived close by, Licia and Robin. We weren't really friends because they bullied us when we were younger, but they still hung out with us sometimes. Our usual friend group consisted of Beck, me, John, Kama, and Travis. Beck and I were both in the throes of first love, she with Kama and me with John. Our afternoons were spent at the pool, and every evening we would all gather at Beck's if Dee was out. Sometimes John got his older brother to buy us beer, and every once in a while, Travis had a joint to smoke. We played games that Beck had, our favorite was Twister, and we laughed until our stomachs hurt. Of course, we also played Truth or Dare and Spin the Bottle, but it irritated me how the bottle always managed to land on John when Beck was spinning it. One night a few weeks into the summer, we were all bored and looking for something else to do. I suddenly remembered Light as a Feather. As soon as I mentioned it, Beck started clapping and laughing and said, Yes, we have to do it. There was nothing like Beck's laugh, and damn, I miss hearing it every day. We explained it and the boys were all in. Lissia and Robin pretended to be scared before agreeing, and Beck and I looked at each other and rolled our eyes. Beck wanted to be the first spirit master, and we drew straws for who would be the first feather. Lissia drew the short straw, and after whining for a while, laid down on the floor. We batted her eyes at Kama and asked him if he would make sure she didn't fall. I don't think Kama even heard her, but Beck did. I could see the anger in her eyes. We took our places around Lysia. Beck was at her head, John and I on her left side, Robin and Travis on her right side, and Kama at her feet. As Kama made jokes about her feet smelling bad, we all placed our fingers underneath her. Beck started her chant with us repeating it after her. She is sick. She is getting sicker. Her hair is falling out. She is dying. She is dead. She is as light as a feather as a board. We all continued to repeat the last chant as Beck counted a three for us to lift. I was trying to stifle a laugh at the part about her hair. Lysia was so vain about hers and I knew Beck had thrown it in as a payback for her flirting with Kama. We were only able to lift her a few inches off the floor. The boys were booing and Beck said that it was because the spirits weren't here to help us. Travis looked excited, said he had an idea and dashed out of the apartment. He was back in a few minutes with a Ouija board. If we need spirits, maybe we need to invite them first. He grinned at his idea. Beck and I gathered candles and lit them to set the scene. 
Travis put the board on the floor and had us all place a finger on the planchette. After moving into the center of the board, Travis said in a booming voice, Are there any spirits here? Please make yourself known. Everyone burst out laughing. Travis hushed us with a serious look and repeated his question louder this time. Are there any spirits here? Please make yourself known. The planchette began to move so abruptly that we all gasped. It moved rapidly from letter to letter and we couldn't keep up. Finally, it slowed down so we were able to call out the letters and hope we could remember enough to put it together. The first word was Teresa, my first real name that no one ever used. I had always been Risa. I felt a shudder pass through me. Teresa will be our scribe. Say goodbye to the board. Get paper and pen to write down our words so all will understand. Say goodbye to the board? I had no idea how, so I just used their words and said, Goodbye, board. And went to find paper and a pen. Everyone was in the same position when I returned, and the planchette started to move almost immediately. Everyone must play. Teresa will be our scribe until her turn. Say goodbye to the board and begin. We all resumed our places around Lycia after everyone said goodbye to the board just as I had, and Beck repeated the same chant. When it came time to lift, we lifted her as if she had no weight at all. She was so high in the air, she was balanced on our fingertips. We all gasped in awe. Suddenly, Lycia started gagging and we lowered her to the floor. She ran to the bathroom and we could hear her throwing up. She still looked sick when she came back, and Robin said she was taking her home. The board had been pushed off to the side, and suddenly the planchette started making wild circles on the board. I grabbed the paper and started writing the letters down as quickly as I could until I had them all. I checked it over and over, and the answer was always the same. Terrified, I turned the paper so that everyone could read it. Everyone must take their turn as both feather and master. All who do not will die. The boys started talking at once, trying to guess how the planchette was moving with no one touching it. Robin was comforting Lycia, who was now sobbing. Beck and I just looked at each other, and I could tell she was as spooked as I was. Poor Trav was taking most of the blame since he had brought the board over, and the consensus was that he had to know what was going on, despite his fervent denials. Once everyone calmed down, John said, So, what are we going to do? Uh, are we going to do what they say? Pandemonium erupted again. Robin said there was no way she was going to do it, while Lysia couldn't stop crying long enough to say anything. John, Travis, and Kama all wanted to keep playing to see what would happen next. Beck and I were afraid, but we also wanted to play. We thought we might be able to figure out what was going on if we played again. If I'm being honest, I think it was mostly because we didn't want to look like cowards in front of the boys. Robin would not change her mind, and she left with Lysia, muttering that we were all idiots. We let them go. What else could we do? The raging thunderstorms outside hadn't deterred them, and we knew they weren't going to listen to us, or to the board for that matter. Once they left, we drew straws for both spirit, master, and feather. Longer straws are the masters, and short ones are the feather. John became the spirit master, and Beck was the feather. We moved the board off to the side and settled down around her. John at her head, comma at her feet. Travis on her left and me on her right. Before we could begin, the planchette started moving on its own again and I quickly grabbed the notebook. You must use our chance for each person. This seemed like a dangerous instruction to follow and we kept arguing about it until the board shut down our discussion. Do it our way or face the consequences. It scared us enough that we shut up and decided to just hurry and get it over with. 
John put his fingers underneath Beck's head and waited for the spirit's input. The planchette did not disappoint as it started moving around the board, spelling out the chant it wanted used. I wrote down the chant and then read it aloud. She is breathing in smoke. She is running out of air. She is burning. She is dying. She is dead. She is as light as a feather, as stiff as a board. We had never said anything remotely like this when playing. I tried to talk them out of doing this, but even Beck was willing, so I gave up. I put the notebook down where John could see it and slipped my fingers underneath Beck's side. John repeated the words given to him. Even though there were less of us, we raised her high, so high that our fingertips were no longer touching her. We looked at each other, wondering how this was possible. All of a sudden, Beck started coughing and gasping, and I knew she was having an asthma attack. She dropped to the floor so fast that we were unable to catch her. I ran to get her inhaler, and thankfully she was soon breathing easier. Next up was Kama as the master, and John was the feather. Kama started as soon as the boar told him what to say. He is breathing in water. He is drowning. He is unconscious. He is dying. He is dead. He is as light as a feather, as stiff as a board. We lifted him high like we had Beck, and we were instantly showered with water. John was throwing up. It was a deluge, and it didn't stop until we lowered him back to the floor. We were afraid to continue, but more afraid not to. Next up was me as the spirit master and Travis as the feather. He is bitten. He is screaming. He is drowning. He is dying. He is dead. He is as light as a feather, as stiff as a board. After the chant, Travis started to grimace. We were able to lift and lower him, and he showed no ill effects with the exception of red welts on his face and arms that quickly faded. He told us that the welts had felt like his face was on fire. Travis was the master next, and Kama the feather. He is falling. He is losing his grip. He is unable to hold on. He is dying. He is dead. He is as light as a feather, as stiff as a board. Kama was lifted as high as the others were, and we lowered him quickly when he cried out from pain in his chest. He had a red mark in the center of his chest and another on his back that wasn't there when we raised him. Like Travis's welts, it disappeared quickly. Beck offered to be the master again because we were one person short. This time, I was the feather. He is locked in a box. She is buried. She is suffocating. She is dying. She is dead. He is as light as a feather, as stiff as a board. I suddenly couldn't breathe. I was gasping but couldn't get any air and they quickly brought me down. I laid there until I could finally catch my breath. We weren't sure what to do next and spent several minutes discussing it. We finally decided to ask the spirits if we were finished for the night, and after a short pause, they answered, You have done well this evening. You did everything we asked of you. I paused before reading the next part. Your chance did not come from us, but from the darkness in one of your hearts. Your anger is now on display for all to see. You will now watch your friends die. Before we could react, we heard sirens. We ran to the window to see what was happening, but we couldn't see much through the downpour. It looked like all the action was in the next parking lot over. Quickly losing interest, we sat back down to talk about what had happened. We needed to see if we could figure out who, or what, had written those chants. Were the spirits just fucking with us? Or did one of us harbor these dark thoughts against people who considered them a friend? No one would admit to being mad at anyone. I knew this was bullshit, but kept my mouth shut. I wasn't about to confess who my anger was for, and I assumed that no one else was either. 
I could see that everyone else was looking at each other with distrust, and I thought that we needed each other if we were going to survive this. I sat down on the edge of the coffee table so I could see everyone. Friends get mad at each other. We have all been mad at one time or another. I think it's going to be impossible to figure out who this anger is coming from. I began to plead with them. Guys, I think that our only chance is to stick together, especially since we have no idea if the board is even telling the truth. And Beck immediately agreed and reached out to hold my hand and the boys followed suit. We clung to each other, with fear in our eyes, but hope in our hearts that we could beat this. It was almost midnight and Dee could be home at any time. We agreed to meet up first thing in the morning and the boys headed for John's. Once we were alone, we realized that Travis had left the board behind. Beck picked it up and we went to her room. We carefully examined it and the planchette from every angle and then put it down angrily. I was sure that somehow the guys were messing with us, like it was some kind of magic trick. Beck twisted a strand of her curly blonde hair, a nervous tick she had always had. But there is nothing to it. It's just a board and this stupid pointer. No hidden wires or anything. Risa, you don't think that this could be real, do you? We've played light as a feather so many times and nothing like this has ever happened. We played light as a feather, but we never used a Ouija board with it. I think that changed things. We both looked over at the board, and I shoved it under the bed so we didn't have to see it anymore. Beck, do you think that what the board said is true? Could all of these terrible things come from one of us? A look passed over Beck's face so quickly that I almost missed it. It looked like guilt. She refused to meet my gaze and snapped at me. I don't know. Why are you asking me? Well... Were you mad at Lycia? You're the only one who got to make up your own chant. I wonder why. Beck shook her head angrily. Of course I'm not mad at her, and I went first before we used the damn board so I had to make up my own. What about you? You hate Lycia more than I do. Beck glared at me. I'd never seen her look that way at me before, and it crossed my mind that I was the only one she was angry with. I dismissed it immediately, and Beck was my best friend. I'm sorry, Beck. I'm not trying to accuse you, I'm just trying to figure things out, and I don't hate Lycia, I just don't like her a lot. Beck laughed, as I hoped she would. I know, Risa, I'm sorry, I'm just scared. I'm scared too, Beck, but it's going to be okay, it has to be. I wrapped my arms around her, and we sat like that until we could finally fall asleep. Dee was crying when she woke us up the next morning. Girls, I'm so sorry, but I have bad news. Last night, Robin was struck by lightning. She didn't make it. Alicia was with her and is in the hospital, but she should be okay. She wrapped us in a hug and we all cried together for a few minutes. She offered to skip work, but we told her she should go. And that we were okay. She finally agreed. After Dee left the room, Beck and I looked at each other in shock. Did we do this? Did we kill her by playing those stupid games last night? Why did you even suggest that? Beck was practically screaming, and I shushed her so that Dee wouldn't hear her. No, we did not do this. This is awful, but it is not our fault. I don't know why I suggested it. It just popped into my head. Robin left after being told not to by the board. We tried to get her to stay, but she wouldn't. Since when is leaving a party to take care of a friend a death sentence? What's wrong with you? Beck... There is nothing wrong with me. We had no idea what was going to happen. 
This shit never happened before when we played before. And if it was because of us, it would have, right? This is the board's doing, and there is no way we could have known what would happen. Beck pulled away from me and went into the bathroom where I could still hear her crying. It hurt that she seemed to be blaming me for everything. The guys came over the minute that Dee left for work. None of them looked like they'd slept much, and I could picture the bags under my own eyes. Beck ran to Kama and started crying again as he held her. John settled on the couch and put his arm around me. Travis grabbed a seat across from us. I took a deep breath once Beck and Kama sat down. Didn't y'all hear about Robin? They looked confused, and Kama said, No, what about Robin? I told them what I knew about both Robin and Lysia. For the first time, they looked as scared as Beck and I. We decided that we needed to go see Lysia. It wasn't a long walk, but I was relieved to reach the air-conditioned hospital. We got her room number at the info desk and made our way to the fourth floor. She started crying as soon as she saw us. Why didn't you have to play that stupid game last night? Robin and I told you we were scared, but you made us play anyway. I'm so sorry, Alicia. I brought over the board. I didn't mean anything by it, and I, I didn't want anyone to get hurt. Rav looked devastated. I broke in as this was getting us nowhere. Guys, playing the blame game isn't going to help. No one had a gun to their head forcing them to play, and if the board killed Robin, Travis had no idea that would happen. None of us did. I turned to Lysia and softened my voice. Are you okay? What happened last night? Tears streamed down her face as she answered. After we left, I was still sick, so Robin was helping me walk. The rain was hitting us in the face and we couldn't see anything. I fell and hit my head, and that's when it happened. Robin was reaching out to me, and a bolt of lightning struck her just before she touched me. If she had been holding on to me, we we would have both died, and now Robin is gone. Lysia started to sob loudly, and a nurse came in and asked us to leave. On our way out, we saw a doctor talking to Lysia's parents, and they were both crying. We walked back home discussing what we had learned. Robin had played the game, but quit before she could be the feather or the master. Could the board have actually killed her for that? We convinced ourselves that was impossible. The walk home went much more quickly than the walk down. I think it had been good for all of us to see that Lysia was alright. She hadn't been the master, and if she was still alive, then maybe all of us who followed the rules would be okay as well. We didn't give much thought to her parents crying. We figured they were crying happy tears. Parents are strange that way. We stopped at the 7-Eleven a couple of blocks from the complex and played pinball until we were out of money. I think we needed a dose of normalcy. We were all in a better mood when we got back to Bex and we could hear the phone ringing as she unlocked the door. She ran to answer it while the rest of us went into the kitchen for something to drink. We were joking around when Beck joined us, but our laughter died with one look at her tear-stained cheeks. That was Lysia. She has brain cancer. They found it when they ran tests on her head because of her fall. It's too big for an operation, so she's going to have chemo. But it doesn't look good. Beck sat down on the floor and cried with her face in her hands. You could have heard a pin drop as we all processed this. Suddenly, something occurred to me. I ran and grabbed the notebook, glad I had added Beck's curse for Lysia the night before. When I read it aloud, the others looked as shocked as I felt. She is getting sick. She is getting sicker. Her hair is falling out. She is dying. She is dead. We all sat there and looked at each other after I read it, and no one said a word. 
John broke the silence. Doesn't chemo usually make someone's hair fall out? Beck started crying even harder and Kama was trying to comfort her. He looked at John. Man, that's enough. Leave her alone. She didn't mean it. Before John could answer, I jumped in. Guys, are we all really thinking that the board has something to do with this? That it struck Robin with lightning and gave Lysia cancer? Everyone averted their eyes and kept their feelings to themselves until finally Travis spoke up. I don't want to believe it's connected. After all, I brought the fucking board over here so that would make this my fault. But we have to consider that this is what's happening. That every curse will happen to one of us. He paused and looked around. And if the board is to be believed, one of us is doing this because they hate us enough to kill us. As I looked at each of them, I wondered if I really knew any of them at all. I pushed those doubts to the back of my mind. The board has to be behind this. I know these people, they're my closest friends. I can't believe anyone in our group could hate the others enough to kill them. It has to be the board. Either way, what have we started here? And can we stop it? We decided we weren't going to think about it. At 15, if you don't think about something bad, then it isn't happening. Stupid, I know. We decided to go swimming, but I made John promise that he wouldn't go in the deep end and no diving. He argued but finally agreed, and I was thrilled because of the curse he got when he was the feather kept replaying repeatedly in my mind. He is breathing in water. He is drowning. He is unconscious. He is dying. He is dead. I just couldn't lose him. I loved every inch of him with all the passion the first love brings, from his sun-streaked hair to his dentine smile to his baby blue bird wells and his laugh. He laughed with complete abandon, and you couldn't help but laugh with him. He was kind and sweet, and he was mine. I needed to make sure it didn't happen, and I decided that I wouldn't leave his side so I could keep him away from the deep end. How could it happen if I was right there? John and I stayed in the shallow end while everybody else did their thing. We splashed each other and did some cuddling. It seemed that everyone else was also starting to relax and our fear seemed so far away. I could see that not being able to dive was driving John crazy. He had been working on a new dive for a couple weeks, a reverse three and a half somersault before hitting the water. He stayed by me because he saw how scared I was. I hated that I was keeping him from something he wanted to do, but he was safe. That was all that mattered. The one thing I hadn't thought about was what would happen if I had to pee. I needed to go inside to the bathroom and I held it as long as I could. Finally, I told John I'd be right back and I begged him to stay in the shallow end. He promised me he'd stay put and I prayed he'd meant it. I finished in record time and ran back to the pool where I saw John on the diving board. He was on his tiptoes just starting his run towards the end of the board and the water. Just as he dived, I screamed, John, no! And we all watched where he had entered the water, waiting for him to surface. He didn't. Just as I jumped into the water, his head popped up. Thank God he was safe. I felt like an idiot, but I didn't care. This was great news, John didn't drown, and I wondered if this meant all the other curses meant nothing as well. Robin and Lysia could finally be a coincidence and have nothing to do with the board. I felt so much better. He laughed as he shook water off his longish wavy hair. Seriza, I'm fine, and I wasn't even next anyway. We should be watching out for Beck. He grinned as he looked at us. I don't think anything is going on, but Beck better watch your back in case I'm wrong. Beck laughed and splashed him. If it's me, I'll haunt you from my grave, jerk. John put his hands in the air and said, I take it back, don't haunt me. 
Beck splashed him again as he turned and dove under the water out of reach and swam across the pool. Beck was trying to stifle giggles. Seriously, how does he make me laugh even when he isn't funny? We laugh because his worst jokes are usually told when we most need to hear a joke, I think. I smiled as I watched him swim back toward us. And did we ever need to hear a joke now? That one really sucked, though. Beck had just taken a drink from her Coke and spit it everywhere, and we laughed so hard that tears ran down our faces. That felt so good, and we both needed it. After we finished swimming, the boys went to John's to shower, and Beck and I headed to her apartment. She showered first, and man, that girl could take a long time. After an hour, it was finally my turn, and I had to wait a while for the water to heat up again. I just rinsed the conditioner out of my hair when I heard Beck screaming. I tripped trying to get out of the shower and then grabbed a towel to wrap around me. I opened the door and ran toward the living room where I saw Travis and Kama, their faces drained of color. I couldn't see John anywhere. What's going on? Where is John? I was shouting but didn't care. Where was he? Beck ran over to me and grabbed me in a tight hug as she cried. What's wrong? I pushed her away and screamed. Where is John? Beck was still crying, so Travis stepped in. Risa, he was taking a shower when he didn't come out and wouldn't answer us. We called the operator and said we need help. When the fireman got there, they broke down the door. Travis struggled to go on. John fell and hit his head, and there was a blockage in the pipe so the tub didn't drain right. He drowned in three fucking inches of water. The next couple of days were a blur. First was Robin's funeral, and the next day was John's. Lysia was still in the hospital and couldn't be there for either one. He had slipped into a coma and wasn't expected to awaken from it. Robin's casket was closed, and we were grateful as we took our place in line and laid a rose on the coffin, including one from Lysia. We knew she would want that. Her funeral was hard, but nothing like John's, most likely because we were all so much closer to him. John's casket was open, and I was shocked. I had been sure it would be closed just as Robin's had been. Hers was the first funeral I'd ever been to and I assumed that caskets were always closed. While some people were taking their seats, others were lining up to go see him one last time. I couldn't do it. I didn't have the courage to see him. To see that face that would never smile again. His arms that would never hold me again. His lips that could no longer form words. Count me out. I saw an empty row ahead and took a seat there and my friends joined me. Are they all really my friends though? I pushed that thought away. John's brother gave the eulogy as Beck and I sobbed and Kama and Travis tried to hold themselves together. After the service ended, more people headed to the coffin to pay their last respects. Beck offered to put my rose on when she added hers, but I didn't want that. I shouldn't be the one to do it. I had a red rose just like the one John had given me on our first date. I closed my eyes and tried to keep that memory in my mind as I neared the coffin. I finally got the courage to open my eyes, and there was my John. He looked ready to wake at any moment, and I desperately wondered if there had been a mistake. I reached out and touched him, and he was so cold. No, there was no mistake. He was truly gone. I leaned over and whispered through my tears that I would always love him and carefully placed my rose beside his hand. Travis's mom brought us home from the funeral and dropped us at the edge of the apartment complex. We all wanted to change clothes, so Beck and I headed to her place, Travis and Kama to theirs. 
They were going to come over as soon as they changed clothes. They lived next door to each other, only a block away from Bex, and were going to walk over together in case the safety and numbers thing would help protect them. I went to bed, wanting nothing more than to stop the pain, at least for a little while. After Kama and Travis got there, Beck brought them back to the bedroom. Travis sat down next to me and put a comforting hand on my back. Risa, we need you to stay awake and help us, please. I flinched away from his touch. Leave me alone. John is dead, and nothing we do is going to save any of us. I glared at him. Were you helping while John drowned in the fucking bathtub? He jerked as if I'd slapped him. That's what I thought. How dare you ask for my help now, on the day we buried him? Travis jumped up, and there were tears streaming down his face. We tried, Risa. We did everything we could. How do you think I feel, knowing that I stood there while my best friend drowned only a few feet away? Travis took off his glasses and used his shirt to wipe his tears. I knew how much I had hurt him, and I felt terrible and I wanted to punch myself. Why did I take this out on him? Travis's heart was huge, and he could never hurt anyone or anything. Hell, we all teased him about the injured animals he was always rescuing and nursing back to health. He had half his basement set up with aquariums to house the injured reptiles and amphibians that he finds, nurses back to health, and then releases. It wasn't his fault, and I was being an asshole for no reason. I got up, wrapped him in a hug, and apologized through my tears. Trav, I'm sorry. You didn't deserve that. I didn't mean it. Please forgive me. I am so sorry. Travis hugged me back and tearfully gave me his forgiveness as Beck and Kama joined us. We stood in that group hug for a long time and just cried together. Our faces were red and swollen, but the crying together had been cathartic. It also reminded us that we are in this together, bonded by our love for each other, bonded in grief, bonded by fear. We sat together in the living room and I chose the rocking chair so I wouldn't reach for John who should have been beside me on the couch. The chair itself also had memories of John. A few weeks before he was rocking too hard and broke it and we used glue to put it back together so Dee wouldn't notice. We had all laughed so hard at the look on his face when he hit the floor. God, that all seems so long ago now, back when we were kids. Travis spoke first. I've been giving this a lot of thought and may have an answer on what we need to do. He looked around at each of us. I don't think you're going to like it, though. Kama started shaking his head no. If your big idea is to use that damn board again, I'm not doing it. Fuck that. Beck was against it, too, but I wondered if the board may be able to give us answers that would save our lives. Fuck it, it's my life, too. Travis, I vote yes. The board is where this started and we may need to use it to end this before any of the rest of us dies. After much arguing, Kama and Beck eventually agreed, so I went to get the board and candles. I didn't know if that would make a difference, but thought we should have everything set up the same way, just in case. We reluctantly took our places around the board and placed our fingers on the planchette. There were so many less fingers than the last time we did this, and I choked back a sob. Kama had agreed to do this, but only if he was the one to talk to the board. The fact that no one argued told me no one else wanted to do it either. I knew I didn't want to do it. I didn't even want to touch it. There was something in the warmth emanating from the planchette that felt predatory. I could hear soft whispers when my fingers were on it, but no matter how hard I listened, I couldn't make out any words. I didn't mention it, and no one else did either. 
perhaps because we were each afraid to say it out loud. What if only one of us was hearing it? I sure didn't want to put myself out there just in case I was the only one. Kamal was calm as he stared at the board, and he took a breath and began. Were the spirits who were here the other night here tonight? Please help us. We stared as one at the planchette, some of us hoping it would move, and others praying it wouldn't. The prayers won. It didn't move at all. Kama cleared his throat and raised his voice. <clears throat> Are the spirits we spoke to the other night with us tonight? We need you and we'll give you whatever you want if you save us. Travis yelled, Kama, what the fuck are you saying? He tried to stand, but he couldn't remove his fingers from the planchette as it spun wildly around the board. None of us could. Once we had given up on freeing ourselves from the planchette, it slowed down and came to a stop on yes in the left-hand corner. As soon as Travis settled back in, the planchette started moving again. We are here. Teresa, be our scribe. I was thrilled. I wouldn't have to touch the planchette if I was writing. Travis reminded me to say goodbye to the board, and as soon as I did, my fingers were free. I jerked them away, and they were beat red. They stung like a sunburn. I grabbed the notebook and sat it on my knee so I wouldn't have to hold it. The pen made my sore fingertips ache, but I took my place to do what I was told. At least I didn't have to be as close to the board. As soon as I was ready to write, the planchette began to move. Why do you summon us again? Kama shouted the answer. Tell us how to stop this. We want to live. The planchette meandered slowly around the board to each letter as if it had all the time in the world to answer. The only way to end this is to find the one whose hatred set this in motion. They are still with you. As long as they live, your fates are sealed unless you find enough hatred in your own heart to stop them. Beck asked a question softly, as if she wasn't sure she wanted the answer. Who is it? Who is the one with hate in their heart? The planchette hesitated, then moved again. That we will not share. You must discover that yourselves. Travis spoke up. How can we do that? Can you at least give us a hint? The planchette remained motionless for several minutes and we feared we had lost the connection. Finally, the board responded. Kama said you would each give us anything to be saved. Each person who receives to give us what we ask for will receive a clue that could save your life, or a clue to who the traitor is. Travis again spoke up. What are you going to ask for? How can we agree if we don't know what you want? Each of you will ask privately and will be told what we desire. The choice to accept will then be up to you. It is also your choice if you wish to share it with the others, but only once everyone has asked. After I read it aloud, I could see in everyone's eyes that they were trying to figure out what they were willing to give up in order to save themselves. What would I give up to save myself? More importantly, what would I give up to find out which of my four friends was the traitor who had killed John? I'll give up anything, I thought to myself. Anything. We looked at each other wondering who would go first, and then Travis volunteered. I handed him the notebook and pen, and the rest of us went to Beck's bedroom to wait for our turn. We could hear Travis speaking, but couldn't make out the words. Beck grabbed the glass from her bathroom and tried listening through the door, which made Kama and I laugh despite the circumstances. Travis rejoined us after a few minutes, and his face was pale, which wasn't encouraging. Perhaps the board would only allow us to share with each other once we had all taken a turn because no one else would take our turn if we knew what was coming. No one volunteered to go next, so Travis wrote out numbers from two to four, folded them, and placed them in a bowl for us to draw from. Beck drew the paper with two written on it, and she hesitantly left the room. 
We listened to see if we could make out anything that was being said, but we couldn't hear anything at all this time. She came back into the bedroom in tears and sat down on the floor with her head in her hands as she quietly sobbed. Kama's number was up next, and we could hear him shouting after he'd been gone for a few minutes, but we still couldn't understand what he was saying. He came back in and didn't speak to anyone. He just sat down next to Beck and wrapped his arms around her. Must be nice to still have someone to hold you. I was suddenly enraged, at the board, and at them. I knew it was unreasonable to be mad at Beck and Kama, but that didn't lessen the anger burning in my gut. It was finally my turn, and I let the anger propel me out of the room and down the hall to the living room. I first looked at the notebook, but each person had torn their sheet out of it and apparently taken it with them. I quietly checked the kitchen trash, hoping at least one person had thrown theirs away, but no such luck. Damn it. I wanted to know what they were asked to give up. I sat down next to the board and put the notebook down on my right so I could still write down the letters. I then placed two fingers from my left hand on the planchette. Teresa, our scribe, we look forward to your question. And I need your answer. What do I have to give up to find the traitor? Interesting. You are the first one to care more about the traitor than your own life. Why? So everybody else asks for their lives? I wonder what that says about me. Why am I more interested in the traitor? Because someone is pretending to be our friend while killing all of us. They killed John, and I want justice. I want revenge. I was shaking with fury. Very well. Do you want revenge badly enough to give us your firstborn daughter if she seeks us out? For this, you will receive a clue to the traitor's identity. What do you mean, give you my firstborn daughter? So you can kill her? I spat on the board in disgust. Never. We have no plans to hurt her, only to protect she will know nothing of our existence unless she uses a board with light as a feather in her 15th year. What would keep me from warning her before she plays? Part of the bargain is that you can tell them nothing about us, the board, or the events of this summer. If they never use a board, this bargain you made will pass to their firstborn daughter with all the same conditions. I thought about it and decided that I could make sure they were never exposed to a Ouija board. If I ever had kids or grandkids. Okay. I agree to your bargain as long as they have to search you out. Now answer my question. Who is the traitor? The board took forever to give me my clue. And when it finally came, I wished I had never asked. Ask your mother. I was shocked and couldn't process it. My mother? I hadn't even spoken to her since I'd been at Beck's. She didn't even know what was going on. I'd lied to Dee and said I had told her. I couldn't imagine what information she could tell me. Ask my mother what? How would she know anything about this? The planchette only repeated itself, then stopped moving. I didn't join the others yet. There was no way I was going to tell them what the board had said. Not until I had gotten to the bottom of it anyway. I got up and started towards the bedroom and had to run back to grab my paper from the notebook. I folded it and placed it in my bra. Beck and Kama hadn't moved when I got back, but Travis was pacing back and forth. They looked at me as I came in and at least I didn't have to lie about looking upset. Before anyone could speak, I suggested that if we wanted to share, that we'd go in the same order as we spoke to the board. I wanted an idea of what they were going to say so I could tailor my answer to match theirs. No one argued, so Travis sat on the edge of the bed and began. Okay, I think that the only way to get through this is to share what we learned. If anything, we should all help each other. Kama immediately disagreed. 
Why should anybody who didn't accept their bargain share with those who turned it down? How is that fair? Beck agreed with Kama, but I wanted to know what everyone had chosen. I knew that I was still going to lie about accepting the deal no matter what the others said. I didn't want to argue though and just hoped that everyone would share. Travis sighed. Okay, I guess that makes sense. If y'all's bargains were as bad as mine, I can't believe that anyone accepted anyway. He reached into his pocket and retrieved the paper he had torn from the notebook. While he straightened it, he said, I asked for a clue to save my life. This is what they wanted. He finally managed to rid the paper of most of the wrinkles and started to read. You must offer us some blood sacrifice of something you love. We all gasped, but mine was more about him getting his paper out than what he said. How am I going to lie if I have to use the paper? Or if they want to see it? I asked, If you don't mind sharing, what did you say, Travis? I don't mind sharing at all. I'm going to share whether anyone else does or not. I actually want to help my friends. Kama stood up. You know that's not what I meant. I want to help my friends too, and for the record, I didn't accept the deal. I just think that anyone who did shouldn't be intimidated into sharing if they don't want to. Travis apologized. I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean it that way. Kama hesitated, then nodded, and sat back down next to Beck. Travis then answered my question. I did not accept the deal. I told them, no way, I'm not killing anything for you, keep your bullshit clue. Beck was next and had her paper ready. Her voice quavering, she began to read. You must give up your chance for happiness. You will never marry and never have children. She cried as she told us that she also had not accepted. Kama was next and wasted no time in reading from his paper. You must give us your left hand, sawn off at the wrist. And in case you didn't hear me the first time, I did not accept. I'm not cutting my hand off for anybody. My eyes grew wide as I realized that the board had asked everyone to agree to what would hurt them most. Everyone but me. Trav, with his love of all things, he'd rather die himself than kill an innocent creature. Kama played baseball and he was a gifted left-handed pitcher. Scouts were already watching him. There was no way he would give that up. Beck. All she wanted was to be married and a mom. The thought of not having that white picket fence would kill her. But me... I had never thought about having kids one way or another, and may decide not to have any at all. There were many other things that would truly hurt me to agree to, like the bargains that others had been offered. To me, a threat towards someone who may never exist just doesn't carry the same weight. I was lost in thought when I realized that everyone was looking at me. It was time for me to take my turn. I sat down on the bed, and with trepidation, removed my paper from my bra. I was going to have to make it up as I went along. My question was for a clue to save my life. I also said no. <clears throat> I cleared my throat and tried to think of something plausible. You must give us your eyes. Only then will you see the truth. Damn, that was stupid. Why couldn't I have come up with something that didn't sound like a fortune cookie from hell? However, they bought it. Thank God. It dawned on me that they had all told the truth, at least about asking for a clue to save their lives. I felt bad to be the only liar but I saw no other way to handle this. I had to talk to mom first. When the talk of what we'd learned died down, I told them that I thought we should burn our papers. The last thing we needed was Dee finding them in the trash, and they all agreed. I got a large ashtray from the kitchen and burned mine first. My anxiety over being found out disappeared as I watched it burn. Travis Beck and Kama decided they wanted to go to the pool, and I said I wanted to eat first. 
After they left, I went to the phone and called mom, but there was no answer. I forgot that she would be at work now. I'd have to try to sneak a call after she was off. I was dreading this. My mother had never acted like a mother to me, and I wasn't sure if she even liked me, much less loved me. I knew nothing about my father as he had never been in the picture. When I asked about him, she would slap me and tell me not to ask again. I soon stopped asking her anything because I never knew what would end in a red handprint on my cheek or worse. At least she wouldn't be able to hit me over the phone. I still had no idea what I was supposed to ask. Whatever I asked, I knew she wasn't going to like it and I was terrified she would make me come back home within reach of her hand. I said a prayer of thanks for Beck and Dee every day. They made me feel like family, the family I so desperately needed and wanted. I was ashamed of my anger towards Beck earlier and vowed to myself that I would do better. I went to change into my bathing suit, dreading going to the pool with everything inside me. There would be no John tippy-toeing down the diving board ever again. He was gone. My head knew it, but my heart hadn't caught up yet. I decided I would just lay out and get some sun, that way I could keep my eyes closed. I grabbed the tanning lotion and headed out to join them. After everyone had enough of the pool, Beck and I went to her house, and Kama and Travis decided to go home as well. Kama told Beck that he'd be back early in the morning, and Travis said he'd be over later. Beck was upset, but I was relieved. I didn't want to talk about this anymore. I wanted just one normal evening. I wanted Beck and I to laugh and sing along to records. I wanted us to tell stupid jokes and talk about anything other than what was happening. I wanted to go back to our lives before we had ever seen that board. I couldn't call mom with Beck at home though, and I was afraid that I would lose my nerve to call her at all. I resolved to call the next day. She should be off work unless she has a big case she's preparing for. She was a lawyer. Beck and I called her an ambulance chaser, and she was usually off on the weekends. Dee came home and wasn't going back out, so we ordered a pizza and watched some TV. It was just what we needed, and we laughed at some mindless comedies and forgot about everything until the phone rang. Dee answered it and spoke so softly that we couldn't hear what she was saying. Once she had hung up, she told us that Lysia had passed away. That ended our evening, and Beck and I went to bed after assuring Dee that we were okay. That's three of us now. I killed her. Beck looked stricken. Who's next? I have no idea, Beck, and this is not your fault. Maybe we can stop anybody else from dying. But how? We all said no to what the board wanted, so why do you think we can stop it? I didn't have an answer that I was willing to share yet. I just have faith that we'll figure it out. Beck looked long and hard at me, and I tried not to give anything away. It must have worked, because she reached over and hugged me and said, I hope you're right, Risa. I hugged her back, also hoping that I was right. However, I was more terrified that I was wrong. The next morning, Kama showed up a little while after Dee left. We waited a while and Travis hadn't shown up yet, so Kama called him but didn't get an answer. A terrible thought crossed my mind. Y'all don't think that he went looking for snakes and turtles, do you? He often walked up and down the streets in our neighborhood, looking for anyone who had managed to survive after being hit by a car. Kama shook his head. No way he'd do that, considering his chance that he was bitten and dying. I'm not so sure, Kama. I think his love for helping them may be stronger than his fear of the chant. I so hoped that I was wrong and that Travis was just sleeping in. I think we should try to find him. Kama and Beck agreed, and we went to his house first in hopes that he was there. 
Kama banged on the door so hard I thought he may break it down, but no one answered. We had no idea where to look, so we just started walking up and down roads around the complex, hoping we would see him. We had been looking for about half an hour and were about to give up when Kama suddenly spotted him several blocks ahead of us. Travis was kneeling and looking at something on the side of the road. We all started to yell at him to try and get his attention. If that was a snake he was looking at, he could kill him. We started to run towards him and he stood when he noticed us and his hands were empty. Thank God. We all laughed with a sigh of relief and slowed to a walk. He was walking towards us when we heard dogs barking. Travis stopped and looked around, I guess to see where the barking was coming from. Suddenly, a large black dog came running out of one of the yards and straight at Travis. We all screamed for him to turn around and the dog jumped just as he did and knocked him to the ground. We ran to help him as three more dogs of various sizes joined the first one and attacking him. I will never forget his screams as long as I live. When we reached him, we started trying to get the dogs off him. Kama was kicking them and Travis managed to whisper, Don't hurt them. We were trying to pull them off him when they abruptly ran off. There was blood everywhere. Travis had been bitten in the face so badly that we could see his teeth through his cheek. And one of his eyes was gone. His stomach had been ripped open and I'd never seen so much blood. Beck raced to one of the houses for help. While Kama and I stayed with Travis, blood was pouring from his mouth and he started to choke on it. Kama and I turned him to his side with his head resting in Kama's lap. Kama ripped off his shirt and we used it to put pressure on his stomach wounds. You're gonna be okay, Rav. It's gonna be okay. Kama had tears streaming down his cheeks as he held Travis and tried to stop the bleeding. And I squeezed Travis's hand while I cried and prayed. He died before the ambulance ever got there. He drowned in his own blood. Travis was Jewish, so his funeral was the next day. The three of us sat together and held hands. We were in shock. This just couldn't be real. I didn't hear a word that was spoken. All I could hear was his screams echoing over and over in my mind. When it was over, Dee brought us back home and sat down to check in with us to see how we were doing. We told her that we were sad, but doing okay, and that she didn't need to worry about us. Probing deeply was not of one of Dee's qualities, and we were grateful for that. She just told us to come to her if we needed to talk, and left us alone. I knew that I had to call Mom as soon as possible. Kama and Beck were cuddling on the couch, and I told them that I was going to take a walk. I grabbed my purse, left the apartment, and headed for the 7-Eleven, where there was a payphone. I was frantic when I couldn't find any change, but I finally scrounged up a dime from one of the compartments. The phone rang and rang, and I was just about to give up when she answered. Hello? The sound of her voice, filled with irritation just because someone dared to call her, made me realize that I hadn't missed her at all. Hi, Mom. It's me. How are you? I'm busy and don't have time to chat. What do you want? Even though I had grown used to the way she talked to me, I guess I had been away long enough to forget how much it hurt that she never had time for me. I took a deep breath and tried to sound strong when I answered. I have some questions I need to ask you, and then I'll leave you alone. What kind of questions? Okay then, I'll get to the point. What do you know about Ouija boards? She didn't answer for a long time, then said in a low voice, Why do you ask? I'm asking because we played with one and... She broke in and there was resignation in her voice. You played it? When? I had to count back in my head. A week ago, tomorrow. Lee, you need to come home. I'll only answer your questions if you come home so we can do it face to face. 
I was shocked as she seemed to be crying and it scared me. My heart sank at the thought of going home and I felt like I couldn't breathe. Can I come back to Bex after we talk? I thought about it and decided it was worth the risk even if she made me stay home with her. If I could find out something that would save Beck and Kama, it would be worth it, no matter what I had to do. I would just sneak out and go back to Bex. Yes, honey, I'll take you back to Bex after we talk. Honey? She had never called me anything except my middle name, Lee. She refused to call me Risa or even Teresa. She had definitely never used a term of endearment for me. Hearing it now made my eyes flood with tears, but I didn't know whether the tears were of happiness and how she was now talking to me, or pain because it had taken her 15 years to talk to me as if I mattered. Okay, I can come now, but it will take me a while to get there walking. Will you still be there in a couple of hours? We lived about five miles away, and it wouldn't be the first time I had walked it. She had never given me a ride to or from Bex. I'll come pick you up. Are you at Bex? No, but I need to go back and tell her that I'll be gone for a while. Thank you for coming to get me. Would you pick me up where the Edgefield sign is? It's right in front of the apartment complex. She said she'd be there soon, and I hung up the phone and tried to make sense out of this new and improved version of my mom. What was going on with her? I refused to let myself wonder if she would stay this way. That would make it hurt worse if she didn't. Okay, that part is done. I'll have to come up with something to tell Beck and Kama. I slowly walked back towards Bex, desperately trying to come up with something plausible. They knew how I felt about Mom and that I would not go home just to see her. I racked my brain and couldn't think of anything that they would believe. I stopped a block away from Bex and just stood there until something popped into my head. I just hoped they bought it. I walked into the apartment and Kama and Beck were on the couch watching TV. Perfect. Hey guys, I'm back. They looked away from the TV and gave me a wave. I sat down in the rocking chair and readied my lie. I stopped at 7-Eleven and saw Billy Parker. Beck, do you remember him from elementary? She laughed. Of course I do. You had the biggest crush on him. How's he doing? He's doing good. He has a license now in a car. Kama looked up. How does he have a license if he's 15? Beck replied. He's 16. He was in the grade above us. He looked back at me. What's new with him? Okay, this is going good so far. One more lie for them to believe. That's all I need. We didn't have much time to talk about anything. He asked me if I want to go riding around, and I said yes. I'm going to go, but I didn't want you all to worry. Beck looked surprised. You don't still have a crush on him, do you, Risa? I bristled. No, of course not. I loved... Make that I love John with all my heart. I just need a break from thinking about all of this. I'm going to meet him now, but I'll be back soon. I paused. This will also give you and Kama some alone time. This made all the difference. As I'd hoped, they hadn't had much alone time together, and I thought it would not only suit my plan, but it would be good for them too. They told me to be careful, and Beck said to tell Billy hi from her. I told them to be careful as well and I was hoping they stayed together just as they were there on the couch. The curse couldn't get to them that way. When I mentioned it, they said that was the plan. I said my goodbyes and walked out to wait for mom by the sign. With every step I took, my fear intensified. It required thinking of Beck and Kama with every step to keep my feet moving. I tried to rehearse what I was going to say as I waited, but I had no idea what to even ask. When she pulled up, I still had nothing and hoped it would come to me.
We made the drive to our house in silence. I refused to call it a home. A home is supposed to be a place where you're loved. I had never been loved here, only tolerated. She treated me with complete indifference unless I made her mad, and I learned young that I should avoid that at all costs. I had no idea how she was going to take this, and I worked hard to tamp down my fear. We pulled into the driveway, and I took a deep breath. Time to get this over with. Mom went to the kitchen, and I went straight to the bathroom as soon as we entered the house, more to get my thoughts together than to actually use it. I decided that I needed to tell her the whole truth if she was going to be able to help me. When I joined her, she was seated at the head of the table with a glass of red wine and an almost full bottle in front of her. I prayed that she wouldn't finish it. I was terrified of her when she was drunk. She had broken my ribs once and my arm another time. I couldn't count the multitude of bruises I had learned to cover up over the years. I got myself a glass of water and slowly drank some as I returned to the table and lowered myself into the chair across from her, well out of reach. Lee, you need to tell me everything. When my mother was angry, she had a way of pursing her lips with a half-smile that I had always found terrifying. I was expecting that look, but instead, she smiled almost kindly at me. I couldn't remember a word that I had rehearsed in my head. I just told her everything. How he had used the board to help us with light as a feather, how it forced us to use chance it had made up, how it had killed Robin with lightning and killed John, Travis, and Lycia in the way the chance sent they would die. She was quiet for a moment, and then asked, How many are left? Kama, Beck, and me. She put her head in her hands. I am so sorry you lost your friends. I lost all of mine when this happened to me. I know how it feels. What? You knew this was going to happen, yet you said nothing? Why didn't you tell me? I was sobbing, and I couldn't understand how she could have let this happen. I would never have played with the board had I known. She looked up at me. Lee, I wasn't allowed to tell you. The women in our lineage have all been promised to the board, long before they were born. We were all fifteen when we first used a board and we weren't allowed to warn our children. We couldn't say anything about the board or what happened to us at all, until our daughter plays it, that is. The board made it clear that anyone we told prior to that would die, including our child. It dawned on me that I had made the same bargain. How could I be angry at her when I had done the same thing? I was having a hard time wrapping my head around this. How did this start? Why our family? She sighed. It started with your great-great-grandmother. She received a board on her 15th birthday. She took a sip of her wine before she continued. They played it every day, but no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't get any spirits to answer them, so their interest waned. One afternoon, one of her friends suggested the game light as a feather. No one else had heard of it, so she explained the rules and they each took turns. It worked, but not well. No one could be raised more than a few inches from the ground. Your great-great-grandma, Teresa. I broke in. Wait, I'm named after her? Yes, you are. She started this, and I've always hoped that you will be able to end it. I hoped that giving you her name would make this come full circle, but you could end this once and for all. You name me? You always said a nurse in the hospital named me because you couldn't be bothered. Tears were streaming freely down my face and I was no longer afraid of her. 
I was only hurt that she had made me feel so worthless all these years, allowing me to think that my own mother didn't name me because she didn't care enough to. That stung. I'm sorry, Lee. I'm sorry for everything. I kept you at arm's length because I was afraid I would love you. If I didn't, then I thought that perhaps I could stand it if I lost you. She finally tore her gaze away from her glass and looked at me with tears in her eyes. But I was wrong. I love you. At least as much as I can love anyone. Her apology didn't wipe out all the years that preceded it. But for a moment, I wanted nothing more than for her to hold me and tell me that everything would be okay. However, finding out the rest of the story was much more important right now. Please finish the story, Mom. What did Teresa do next? Mom wiped her eyes, and I could tell I heard her because I changed the subject rather than respond to her tearful confession. I don't know if she expected instant forgiveness from me for all my tears, all the physical abuse, and all the insults she had hurled at me in my life designed to make me feel worthless. I realized for the first time that there was nothing wrong with me, that instead there was something wrong with her. Mom refilled her glass to the brim this time, and she took a sip before continuing. Teresa was disappointed that the new feather game wasn't working, and she thought that perhaps the Ouija board could help. She convinced the other kids, and they soon had the board set up and ready to play. They all placed their fingers on the planchette and read the letters out loud as it pointed to each one. When they put the letters together, it said that Teresa would be their scribe. I felt a shiver crawl up my spine. He was told to be the scribe just like I was? Yes, just like you. Just like us all. Mom finished her wine in two gulps and then refilled it yet again. At this rate, she was going to go through a second bottle and I wouldn't have a ride back to Bex. Oh well, if the wine is loosening her lips, I'll refill her glass myself. Why are we always the scribe? She raised her voice. Because the board demands it. Stop interrupting me if you want to hear the rest. Now, here's the mom I know. I wondered where you were hiding. Yes, please go on. The board came up with its own chance for light as a feather, and Teresa wrote it down. Everyone had to play, and they all were given a different chant. They just didn't realize then that the chants were, in fact, curses. It only became obvious when they started dying one by one, in the ways foretold by the board. I don't understand. I have played with a Ouija board before in sleepovers and nothing happened. It is using the board in combination with light as a feather that gives it power. Nothing happens until they are used together. The board also draws power from every rule that is broken while using it. What? What kind of rules? The rules for using the Ouija board. I didn't know them either and broke a rule right in the beginning that set everything in motion. I didn't properly say goodbye to the board. Wait, how do you say goodbye to it? I just said goodbye and that seemed to work fine. It may have seemed to, but no, it didn't work fine. You snorted. You have to move the planchette over the goodbye on the board. Every time someone does it incorrectly adds to its power. It hit me that everyone had copied me in saying goodbye. That was a lot of goodbyes. I dreaded asking my next question. Did all of Teresa's friends die? Mom looked down at her glass. Lee, I'm sorry. Her friends didn't survive. None of our friends ever survived. She picked up her glass and drained it, then refilled it with the last of the wine in the bottle. 
There must be a way to save Kama and Beck. Did any of you actually try to save your friends, or did you just let them die? Of course we tried to save them. They tried avoiding anything that could put them in harm's way. Based on the curses, the board always found a way, no matter what anyone did to stop it. She paused. However, there was one difference. From what I was told, Teresa wasn't upset at her friend's deaths. Instead, she was excited by the power of the board. Her parents threw it away, but she found it and kept it hidden, except when she was using it. People who crossed her often met with a fatal accident. I believe that she was evil, and that gave the board its powers that have affected all of our lives. You named me after her even though you knew what she was? How do you think I can stop this if three generations of women in our family couldn't do it? She finally looked up at me again. Why you? You're more courageous and caring than any of us were. She sighed and continued. All of our firstborns have been girls since Teresa started this nightmare, and they were treated by their mothers the same way I've treated you. We have all been cowards, finding it easier to keep our distance in case the board took our daughters as well as their friends. As a result, we all grew up with hate in our hearts. All except you. You have managed to hold on to more goodness in yours. I've always hoped that your goodness would be what would finally end this. How many daughters died? None have ever been lost on the board. Once all of our friends were gone, the game ended, and none of our curses came true. But you all still felt that making your child feel unloved and unwanted was the way to go? I was furious. You knew how it felt. How could you then treat me that way? You knew how much it hurt. Mom staggered a bit. When she stood up, walked over to the wine cabinet and retrieved another bottle of red. After she settled herself back at the table and poured another, she stared at the wine in her glass, perhaps looking for answers there. She smiled with that half-smile I hated. We do a lot of things as parents that we swore we would never do. You may want to get down off that high horse you're on and stop judging us until you have kids of your own. She abruptly changed the subject. Did you accept the bargain the board proposed for an answer to your question? Yes, I did. But you have to know that already. Why else would I be here? In exchange for my clue, the board asked for my firstborn, and I'm betting that's the same choice that all of y'all were given. But I just won't have any kids. I'm not putting anyone else through this. Maybe that's what it will take to stop this. She laughed bitterly. Ever heard man plans while God laughs? Do you think you're the first to say it doesn't matter because they won't have kids? Lee, I won't sugarcoat it. I never wanted kids anyway. I took every precaution, had my tubes tied, and I even tried to abort you myself. Yet here you are. I tried to treat you better than my mother had treated me, and I do love you as much as I can. I just wasn't cut out to be a mother. But I was right. She had never wanted me. But did it make a difference that she had been forced by the board to have me at all? I didn't know exactly how I felt yet, but I also didn't have the time to figure it out right now. The longer I was gone from Bex, the more likely that one of them would die. Thinking about this could wait, especially because the pain of hearing that said aloud hurt me to my core and was a distraction I didn't need. You know what, Mom? I don't want to talk about this now. I want to talk about how to save Beck and Kama. It's not like it's news to me that you didn't want me anyway. I cleared my throat. Though I already said that I accepted the bargain from the board, but you never asked me what my clue was for. Why is that? Oh, because it's always the same. 
You asked for a clue to save your life and it pointed you at me. Actually, I didn't ask for a clue to save my life. I asked for a clue as to who the traitor is and it told me to ask you. I paused. Why would it do that? Do you know who the traitor is? We sat in silence for what seemed like forever. All I could hear was the sound of the wall clock, loudly ticking away what time that Beck and Kama had left as I impatiently awaited her answer. I do know, but you are not going to like it. Are you sure you want me to tell you? I paused, fearing that she would say Beck's name. Please, not my friend Beck, not my Beck. I tried to steal myself as I nodded for her to continue. She spilled wine all over the table as she tried to refill her glass. She grabbed some napkins and tried to clean it up, but just ended up making a bigger mess. I was sure she was stolen. Well, who is it? I asked. Just tell me. It's you, Lee. The traitor is you. I stood up so fast that I tipped my chair over. You fucking liar. I would never betray my friends. Lee, I never said that you betrayed them on purpose. It's the board. It uses any anger you have ever felt towards them and magnifies it. It doesn't care if your anger was petty or if it was from long ago. It gets into our minds knowing that friends always get mad at each other. The board knows that it will always find something to use. I stood there in shock, racking my brain for any time I had been mad at each of them. I couldn't think of a single time when I was more than irritated. Well, I was upset when Beck kept landing on John and spinned the bottle. Even then, I knew it wasn't her fault. She couldn't control who the bottle ended up pointing to. The more I thought about it, I did remember being mad at each of them. John, when he spent more time learning dives than with me. Kama for playing around with a broomstick and smacking me in the back with it hard enough to leave a bruise. Travis for an argument where he said that dogs should always live outside. By the time he admitted he was teasing me, I was already mad. Robin for chasing and shocking me over and over with static electricity when we were in third grade. Beck for playing with a candle and spilling hot wax on my brand new blouse. Lysia for making fun of me in first grade after my mother cut my long hair into a pixie cut. She kept swinging her hair around and... Her hair. Exactly what Beck had added to her curse. In fact, now I could see that all of the curses came from me. I was mad at them over nothing. And now they were dying because of it. I sat down on the floor and sobbed. She was right. It was me. I was the traitor with hatred in my heart. I pushed mom away as she tried to comfort me and cried until I had no more tears. I knew I had to get my shit together. I was going to save Beck and Kama no matter what it took. This was my fault and I was going to fix it. I finally got up, walked over to the sink and washed my face, using her dish towel to dry it knowing how much that would piss her off. I wanted to punch something and one word out of her mouth meant that something would be her face. She wisely decided to let it slide. Lee, do you have any more questions? I've told you everything I know, so I don't think I can be of any more help. Okay, I do have one last question. I turned to face her. Am I allowed to tell Beck and Kama what I've learned, or will that ensure their deaths? You can tell them. It doesn't matter at this point anyway. Their fates are already sealed. I shook my head. Not if I have anything to say about it. Speaking of which, I'm going to head back to Bex now. Mom got up and said, Let me find my shoes and I'll take you. She stumbled as she looked around for shoes that were already on her feet. I surprised myself by laughing. Mom, I think I'll be safer if I just walk. 
She walked me outside and gave me a hug. I found myself hugging her back. I had waited so long for a hug from her that I felt like she meant it. I whispered, thank you, then pulled away and headed down the walk without looking back. My thoughts were racing as I walked back to Bex, bouncing back and forth between terror and resolve. I was shocked when I realized that I was almost there. It felt like I had left mom's only a few minutes ago. I was so afraid that they were both going to hate me when they knew the truth. After all, I had brought this down on all of us. Well, all of them. It seemed like I was the only one who was safe. How exactly does one apologize for that? I let myself into Bex and they weren't in the living room. I called out, but everything was quiet. I checked Beck's room and they weren't there, so I decided to check the pool. Nope, they also weren't at the pool. Where could they have gone? Kamas? Maybe they went there. I walked to Kamas and they weren't there either, and I was fresh out of ideas and getting more worried every second. I suddenly thought of the woods. We hung out there sometimes. There was only an acre or so of wood that ran along the back of the apartments, but it was the closest we city kids could get to the wilderness. As I entered the woods, I could hear shouts and laughter coming from somewhere, but I couldn't make out what they were saying. I stopped to listen, and it seemed to be coming from my right, so I headed off in that direction. The shouts grew louder, and I realized that whoever it was seemed to be headed down the path I was on. I instinctively hid. I didn't recognize any of the voices. It sounded like a large group of boys. I left the path and hid behind a group of trees. And as they passed, I could see that it was several guys from the high school who I recognized as seniors. I heard one say, Did you see the look on their faces? The response was drowned out by their laughter, but I was suddenly terrified. Were they talking about Beck and Kama? When they were finally out of sight, I crept from my hiding place and back onto the path to continue my search. I found them a few minutes later, and Kama was pissed right off. I guess that the guys had pushed him and Beck around, and he couldn't do anything to stop them. They had held them down and taken their shoes, tied their laces together, and thrown them into a tree where they hung from branches, maybe 15 or 20 feet up the tree. Kama wanted to climb and get them, and Beck was holding on to him to stop him. Are you crazy, Kama? Your curse said you would die in a fall, and you are not climbing that tree. An idea popped in my mind, and I said, Why don't I climb up and get them? My curse has nothing to do with falling. I didn't wait for an answer as I walked to the tree, grabbed the lower branch, and pulled myself up. I had always been a tomboy, and climbing trees was nothing new. I quickly made it up to Beck's shoes, and I untangled them from the branch and dropped them to the ground. Kamas were hanging another five feet above my head, and when I reached them, I fumbled as I pretended to get them loose while I gathered my courage and tried to remember exactly what Kamas' curse had said. Losing his grip and falling were all I could remember, and I was furious at myself for not memorizing them. This would have to do. I won't get another chance. I said a quick prayer and grabbed the branch the shoes were tangled in. I let myself dangle as Beck let out a scream. Risa, what are you doing? You're going to fall. I ignored her and hung there, pretending to try to get my legs around the branch. Kama jumped up and ran to the tree to come help me and I knew I couldn't wait any longer. I closed my eyes and released the branch and started to fall. I hit several branches on my way down and had the breath knocked out of me. It felt like I fell for hours, but it had to have been only seconds before I hit the ground. Beck ran over to me and I was fine. Scratches and bruises from the branches hitting me, but I was alive. I was so disappointed. I had hoped that if I died in Kama's place using his curse, then it would break this cycle. After all, we scribes, no, we traitors, never die during the game. 
I thought it was time that one of us did, but it didn't work, and I'm no closer to saving them than I was before. We left Kama's shoes in the tree and went back to Beck's, walking slowly so I could keep up. I was pretty beaten up by the fall, but I didn't even break a bone. They bought my story that I couldn't reach his shoes without hanging on that branch. I was glad of that. I didn't want them to know what I had planned and failed to do. Once there, I went into the bathroom to clean up, and Beck helped me put on ointment on all the scratches I couldn't reach. As she worked on cleaning the scratches, I worked on gaining the courage to tell them what I had learned from Mom. I was terrified that they would hate me, which they had every right to do. After all, this was all on me. When we finished, we headed to the living room, and Kama was sitting in the rocking chair, reared up on the back of the rockers, just like John used to do before he broke the chair. We had glued it back together, but I wasn't sure if the chair would hold with him putting so much pressure on it in the same way it had been broken. I got out. Kama, I wouldn't do... But before I could finish my sentence, the chair suddenly gave way. Kama fell backwards as the chair collapsed and managed to grab the edge of the fireplace mantle with his fingertips to stop his fall. Before Becker I could react, his fingers lost their grip and he fell. We watched in horror as he landed on the only spindle still attached to the seat. The top of the spindle had broken into a sharp point and it pierced his back and burst through his chest. He was bleeding from his mouth, and all I could see was Travis choking on his blood. We both ran over to him and turned him carefully to his side so he could still breathe. Beck stayed by his side while I ran to call an ambulance. I could hear Beck wailing and I silently prayed as I waited to be connected. They said they would hurry and I ran to tell Beck, but it was too late. She had her arms wrapped around him as best as she could with a damn spindle in the way, and she was quietly sobbing. I sat down beside Beck with my hand on her back and cried with her, as we waited for the ambulance that no longer needed to hurry. Beck was inconsolable and didn't say a word after they had taken Kama away. The police were called because it seemed like a suspicious death. They wanted to know exactly what happened, and I started with the chair already being broken. I told them how it happened as Beck sobbed quietly with her hands covering her face. When they looked at the pieces of the chair, I heard them mention seeing the glue where we had repaired it before. They waited for Dee to get home. They had called her and she was on her way. When she got there, Beck leapt up and ran into her arms. Dee comforted her as she spoke to the police. They told her that they had determined that this was a freak accident and there would be an autopsy. They expected it would end with the same conclusion they had drawn. One officer gave her his card in case she had any questions and then they left us alone. The pieces of the chair were still where they had fallen with the exception of the spindle that remained in Kama's chest. They had said that it needed to be in place for the autopsy. Beck had gone to her room once everyone had left and we could still hear her crying. I started to clean up the chair but Dee waved me off and told me to go be with Beck. As soon as I went into her room, I could see she was starting to have trouble breathing from all the crying. It had brought on an asthma attack. I grabbed her inhaler from her bathroom and helped her with it. Within a few minutes... She was breathing better. Thank God. I can't lose her tonight, too. I laid down on the bed beside her and wrapped my arms around her. I was still holding on to the inhaler. I wanted it to be close by if she needed it again. She cried herself to sleep as I thought about what I needed to do tomorrow with fear, but also resolve. I would need Beck's help, and I hoped I could convince her to do it. I didn't sleep at all. There was too much on my mind. I watched Beck as she slept, knowing this may be our last night together. I thought about all the things we had done together, and about how we became friends. She and I were nine, and in different classes, so we didn't know each other. We had both won the spelling bee for our classes, 
and we were in the hallway of the school practicing words that a teacher called out to us. About three words in, she asked one of the boys from another class to smell alabaster. I thought she said alabaster, and I happened to catch Beck's eye right after the teacher said it, and we both started laughing together. I knew at that moment that we would be friends. So many memories. Beck helping me cover the bruises Mom had given me, Beck telling me funny stories to make me laugh, Beck, the sister I had picked for myself who was now suffering because of that choice. When the sun rose, Beck started to stir. She opened her eyes, and I could see the split second that everything was normal. Then the desolation when she remembered losing Kama. She curled herself into a ball and quietly cried. I waited until Beck's tears stopped flowing, and when I told her that we needed to talk, Beck snapped at me. I don't want to talk about anything. I just want to lay here and be left alone. I'm sorry, but we have to talk. It's important. I believe I can save your life. I don't want to live without Kama. Leave me alone and let me die, Risa. No, you are not going to die. Think of Dee. What would she do without you? What would I do without you? I was careful not to mention that she would likely be the one who had to live without me if things went according to plan. I had to figure out a way to talk her into helping, and only one thing came to mind. I had to tell her everything that mom had said and make her blame me as much as I did. If she hates me, she may be happy to help. As much as I thought hurt, it was better that she hate me and live rather than love me and die. I had no choice. Dee had tried to take the day off, but her boss told her that if she didn't come in, she was fired. I assured her that we would be okay and that I would watch after Beck. Beck was still curled up in a fetal position when Dee came in to tell us that she was leaving. Once I heard the front door shut behind her, I walked around the bed so I could look at Beck's face as I told her my family's terrible secret, as I told her about all my lies. Taking a deep breath, I said, Beck, I have to tell you something. She opened her eyes and looked up as I sat cross-legged on the bed next to her. Leave me alone, Risa. I said I don't want to talk. Too bad, because you are going to listen, and then you are going to help me with my plan. She jerked away from me. The fuck I am. I'm staying in this bed and not getting up. I couldn't keep the sadness out of my voice when I replied. I think you'll change your mind after I finish. You're not going to leave me alone until we talk, are you? Nope. You know me too well, my friend. I suddenly thought of something and told her I'd be right back. I ran to the kitchen and looked in the fridge, and sure enough, Dee had a six-pack of beer in there. Her alcohol had always been off limits, but today I didn't care about that in the least. I grabbed an ashtray and a pack of Dee's smokes and brought them along with the beer back to Beck's room. She saw me as I came in and said, What are you doing? Is that mom's beer? We'll get caught if we drink that. Beck, on a day like today, I think your mom will forgive us. Hopefully she also forgives the smokes I liberated from her garden. I joked and loved that it put a small smile on her face. I knew that her smile would soon disappear and that this may be the last one I ever see. And I tucked it away with all the other memories in my heart. Beck sat up suddenly. Risa, you're right. Give me a beer and we can drink Takama. Her voice broke as she finished and I quickly handed her a beer and lit a cigarette for her. She took a deep drag and blew out only a small bit of smoke. Why is my mother the only person in the world who smokes vantage cigarettes? Ugh. That made us both grin. We always made fun of Dee about her cigarettes with the hole in the filter. I tucked this away as well and hoped that I could take all these memories with me. Beck said, So what do you need to tell me that's so important? 
Here we go. I need to sell this like her life depends on it, which it does, one way or another. Okay, Beck. The first thing I need to do is tell you that I lied about a couple things. She looked confused. You lied to who? Not me. We always tell each other everything. I lied to everyone, including you. I didn't feel like I had a choice. But why me, Risa? Why would you do that? What did you lie about? I lit myself a cigarette. Beck, this will be easier if you let me finish before you ask me any questions. Is that okay? Beck shrugged. Okay, I'll be quiet until you finish. I took another long drink of my beer and lit a cigarette and then moved her desk chair over by the bed so I could sit. I first lied the night that the board offered us the bargains. I accepted mine. Her green eyes grew big as I continued. The board asked for my firstborn child if she ever sought the spirits out. I wouldn't be able to warn her to never use a board. If I did, she would die. She looked shocked and started to speak, but I held my hand up to stop her. Remember, questions at the end, okay? She nodded and sat up cross-legged on the bed in front of me. Beck, I also didn't ask for a clue to save my life. I asked for a clue to know who the traitor was. I was hoping that if I could find that out, then we could do something to stop all this. Did you find out who the traitor is? Or was, I guess, since only you and I are left? She paused as she put it together. Wait, if the traitor is dead, then we are safe from the curse, right? And they have to be dead because I know it isn't either of us. Beck, please let me finish before we talk about that. I need to tell you all of this first. Beck looked worried now, but nodded for me to continue. When I asked who the traitor was, all the board told me was ask your mother. While she was processing this, I kept going. That led to my second lie. I was not out riding around with Billy yesterday. I was at my house, demanding answers from mom. I told her everything, and watched all the emotions that crossed her face. Compassion, anger, confusion, and finally sadness. She reached out toward me, and I steeled myself for a slap. Instead, she grabbed my hand with both of hers with tears streaming down her face. I'm so sorry that you had to hear all of this alone, Risa. I wish you had trusted me enough to at least tell me after you found out. She looked into my eyes. Did you think I could blame you for this? I could never blame you. You are as much of a victim as anyone in this shitstorm. I looked down. I couldn't face her. I did not deserve compassion, and it was the last thing I had prepared myself for. She reached up and placed her hands on my face, and slowly raised it so that we were eye to eye. I love you, Risa. This is not your fault. Through my tears, I said, I love you too, Beck. You have no idea how much. You and Dee have been there for me so many times, and I am going to fix this. I hope I'm going to end it once and for all, but I'm going to need your help to do that. She squeezed my hands tighter. Of course I'll help you. What's your plan? I hope that she would be this willing to help once I explained it. Okay. Remember when I told you that Mom said that none of the scribes ever died? She nodded. It finally dawned on me that if I died, then it may save you. And, comma. I chucked back a sob. So when I got to the woods and found out what was going on, I thought that if I climbed the tree and fell just as Kama's curse had predicted, then my death would save his life. I could take his place 
and without me the game wouldn't continue. Beck was crying now, but she was also angry. Why would you think that you dying could ever be a good thing? Did you think that I cared more about Kama than I do you? I love Kama, but you are my best friend. I could never live without you. Beck, your life is what is most important to me. I would have gladly died to save you then, and I will gladly die to save you now. What the hell are you talking about, Risa? Does this have to do with what I'm supposed to help you with? If so, I won't do it. Just hear me out, okay? Beck got off the bed and started pacing, and I was reminded of Travis doing the same thing just a few days ago, before my family's curse killed him. Before I could go any further down the self-pity hole I was digging, she sat back down beside me. Okay, I'll listen, but I'm not going to help you kill yourself. The thing is, I may not have to die to put an end to this for good, but please keep that in mind while I explain. Deal? She perked up. Okay, you living and being able to stop this sounds like a winner. Go on. Okay, I think I know why I couldn't save Kama. I couldn't take on his curse. I believe that we all have to die by our own curses, and we can't take another's place. Okay, I'm following, but I'm not sure I like where you're going with this. You remember what my curse was, Beck? She shook her head. Not exactly. Can you read it to me again? I reached over and grabbed the notebook from beside the table and flipped through until I found it. She is locked in a box. She is being buried. She is suffocating. She is dying. She is dead. Beck shuddered. That is the worst one of all. It sounds like you would be buried alive. That's what it sounds like to me as well. It's also the only one that would require someone to actually do that to me. None of the other curses require another person for it to come true. That has to mean something. Beck looked intrigued. But what could that mean? I believe that the final curse for the scribe is never supposed to come true. Everyone else can't escape their curse. The scribe never dies because they are the last one standing. Beck said, I still don't understand how this helps us. What's your actual plan? My plan is for us to make my curse come true. Beck looked like she was about to say something, but thankfully just waited for me to continue. Okay, so we can use that old trunk your mom has in the hall closet. I'll definitely fit in there and it isn't too big to dig a hole for. We dig a big enough hole in the woods, away from the path so we won't get caught. We are going to need a bell for the next part. I'm going to get a bell and tie it to a string. We have to be able to rig up some sticks or something to hold the bell so it dangles to make sure it will ring. The end of the string tied to the bell will be given to me around my wrist. Then we take the trunk out there and lower it into the hole. And then I get in. I paused. Then, I close the trunk and bury me. Beck was furiously shaking her head no. No way I'm burying you alive. And what is the bell supposed to do? I will ring the bell when I am close to taking my last breath. You then dig me up and perform CPR and bring me back. Beck and I had both learned CPR the summer before in hopes of someday becoming a lifeguard. I could see that Beck was now considering the plan, at least a little. How do you know the bell thing will work? Where did you come up with that? I read it in a book a while back. They used to do that in graveyards a long time ago because people were scared they would accidentally be buried alive. The bell was supposed to alert the night watchman that someone was alive. Did it ever work? Beck looked horrified. Were they burying people alive back then? I don't think it ever worked, probably because the people were actually dead. I won't be, though, and can ring it to let you know when to bring me up. 
That's true, but I still don't see how it will stop anything because you won't die. Why do you think this will work? I think it will work because I will have to run out of air while you're bringing me up. I won't be breathing, which is dead. And then you can bring me back using CPR. I think as long as I die, the way the board said I would, that it will end the cycle. Permanently. Beck jumped up from the bed and left the room, and I was afraid that meant she wasn't going to agree. She came back into her room holding a bell that had a handle on it. Will this work? I smiled and nodded. That's perfect. We can attach the string to the hole in the handle. That's what I was thinking. She said. I'm still not sure about this, but it does sound like your plan might work. I got up and gave her a hug, thanked her for believing in me, and told her how much I loved her. We then started putting my plan into motion. We cut a long section of heavy string from a roll Dee had laying around and tied it to the handle of the bell using several knots. Next, we changed into clothes more appropriate for digging and headed to the maintenance shed for the complex. It was always unlocked during the day, so it was easy to swipe a couple of shovels. As we entered the woods, Beck was worried that we would run into that group of seniors who had picked on her in Kama, but the woods were quiet. I mean, really quiet. We couldn't even hear birds chirping. We walked halfway down the path and then veered off into a densely treed area. We walked for a few minutes until we found a small clearing. We couldn't see the path from there and no one should be able to see us. Beck caught my eye as I used my shovel to push away pine needles, leaves, and branches to clear a space to dig. Risa, are you sure you want to do this? What if something goes wrong? I waited until I had cleared a space I thought was big enough before replying. Beck, everything is going to be okay. I promise. She hesitated, then we started digging. After a couple of hours, we thought that the hole may be deep enough from the trunk. We didn't want to drag it down here and still have to dig deeper, so Beck ran back home to measure it, just to make sure. She measured the hole when she got back, and it needed to be a little wider, but was deep enough to be covered with a couple feet of dirt. We dug more, both of us exhausted by this point. The ground was hard, and it took all our weight standing on our shovels to get anywhere. After another hour of digging out the sides, we measured, and it would now fit. A tight fit, but it should work. We both went to get the trunk, and we were worried that someone would see us taking it into the woods. Luckily, we didn't see anyone as we carried it. It wasn't as heavy as I thought it would be, and we made good time getting it to the hole. We sat on our knees, and we held on to the handles at each end and slowly lowered it into the hole, being careful to keep it straight so that we could open the lid. We dug deeper than I thought, and Beck needed to hold on to my ankles as I laid down and reached into the hole to open the trunk. I finally got it open, and Beck pulled me back so I could get out. We then set up the bell, and Beck had come up with an excellent idea. She brought along the long fork like you use for a roast, and we buried the handle in the ground at an angle after digging a small hole for it. We tied the bell to one of the lines so that it would be able to swing. I had brought two beers and the pack of smokes in my purse, and we sat in silence for a few minutes, both of us staring at the hole. When we finished, we stood up, and I turned back to her holding her hands tightly. Beck, I know you're scared. I am too. But we have to do this. And no matter what happens, you need to know that I am okay with it. Whatever happens is meant to be. Beck started to cry and asked, What do you mean, whatever happens? I mean that we don't know how this is going to turn out. And no matter what, you cannot blame yourself. This is all on me. I wiped a tear from her cheek and said, I think we should get started. She wrapped her arms around me and I hugged her back tightly. 
and hoped she could feel the love I had for her. She was still crying as she sat down and held onto my hands as I lowered myself into the trunk. As soon as I sat down in it, I fought back panic as I realized exactly how small it was. I was really going to have to comfort myself for the lid to close. I looked up at Beck. I love you, Beck. I'll see you in a little while. I smiled at her and prayed that she would forgive me for this last lie. She forced a smile through her tears and said, I love you too, Risa. See you soon. Wait, do you have the string? I showed her that I had it and quickly tied it around my wrist. I had to lay on my side in almost a fetal position in order to squeeze into the trunk, and it took a few changes of position before I could close the lid. Beck loudly asked, Wait, I want to go over it again. I just wanted to get it over with, but agreed. So I just wait until I hear the bell and then I dig you up and give CPR, right? Yep, that's the plan. I'll wait to ring it until I know I'm really low on air. Will you ring it as soon as you're buried so that we know it works, please? Okay, that's a good idea. I'll ring it once as soon as I'm down and then again when I need to come up. Beck breathed a sigh of relief. I could tell she was terrified. Hell, I would be if I was about to bury her alive. I just hoped she would understand and forgive me when this was all over. She looked as if she may change her mind, and I said, Beck, this is our only chance to save us and end this nightmare that my family started. You know it, and I know it. I smiled. Let's get her done. She smiled sadly at that. We had gotten it from an old western we once watched, and we had set it for laughs ever since. As I closed the lid, I heard her say tearfully, Okay, I'm ready. Let's get her done. As soon as I closed the lid, I cursed myself for not thinking of bringing a flashlight. It was dark in the trunk, but I could see a little light where the lid and trunk met. I gasped as I heard the first dirt hit the top. It was much louder than I thought it would be, and it caused an echo. I braced myself for the next shovel, and it came quickly. After a few minutes, I could barely hear the dirt anymore and somehow the near silence was worse than the sound of the dirt hitting what would be my coffin. The trunk started to heat up as more dirt covered it, and I wondered how long it would take me to suffocate. I hoped it would be fast. I used my left hand to untie the bell from my right wrist. I rang it once, then I took out the small pair of scissors and a letter I had written for Beck that was hidden in my bra. I felt along the string until where I found it entered the trunk and used the scissors to cut it through short enough so that I couldn't pull on it if I panicked and changed my mind. I knew how this had to end. The scribe needed to finally die. Not die and come back, but die for good. I prayed Beck would forgive me. The last thing I wanted was for her to blame herself, and if she hated me for my deception, at least she would be alive. I placed the letter on my side so that she would see it when she opened the trunk. I closed my eyes and thought of everyone who had died because of me. Robin, Lycia, John, Travis, Kama. I couldn't bring them back, but I could make sure that no one else had to die because of this again. If I'm not alive to have a daughter, then the curse will have to die. I just prayed that this would also save Beck. I lost track of time. It was pitch black and hot, and it felt like I had been buried for hours. I was soaked in sweat, and soon I had trouble drawing a breath. I breathed as deeply as I could, hoping to hurry the process along. My entire body was aching from the position I was in, and I couldn't move enough to relieve it. Suddenly, I heard whispers echoing around the trunk. It distorted them so that I couldn't understand what they were saying. I realized that it was the same whispers I heard when I touched the planchette, but this time they sounded angry, and I suddenly felt triumphant. 
I'm going to beat you, assholes. How do you like that shit? The whispers grew louder, and I hoped that hearing them meant I was right, that my life would be the last one they would take. It bolstered my courage, and I tried to ignore the pain and fear, and instead think of happy memories. Memories of Dee and Beck having me stay over for Christmas every year because Mom refused to celebrate. Beck and I singing to records we loved over and over again. I thought of John, his smile, his sense of humor, his empathy for others. Travis with his love of reptiles and kind heart, and Kama who was so important to Beck. I thought of Lysia and Robin who didn't deserve to die because of something they did as children. I realized I was getting tired and I was glad. Sleep would be perfect. I wouldn't think about all the dirt covering me or the fact that I probably had only minutes left to live. I closed my eyes and tried to take my mind off the terrible pain of not having enough air until I finally felt nothing at all. I woke up in the hospital three days later with Beck curled up in a chair beside me reading a book. She glanced up and saw I was awake and fell out of the chair when she tried to get up. I tried to laugh, but my throat was sore, so it was more of a croak, and she laughed even harder from her new seat on the floor. Suddenly, she jumped up and sat on the side of my bed, giving me such a strong hug that it hurt my ribs. Risa, they didn't think you were going to make it. You've been in a coma for three days. A nurse poked her head in the room when she heard Beck's voice and told us she'd be right back with the doctor. He came in, checked my eyes, and asked me some questions. I must have passed his test because he told me I was doing great and then left to call my mother. I asked Beck to help me raise my bed so I could sit up. When I was comfortable, she sat at the end of the bed and told me what happened. I had told her not to dig me up until I pulled on the string. Beck had gotten worried after an hour and tried pulling on the string in hopes I would answer by pulling back. When she felt no resistance, she kept pulling until she had my end at the top. That's when she panicked and started digging. A couple of guys in the group who had picked on her and Kama the day before walked by and ended up helping her. It turned out that they felt bad about what their friends had done and were going to get their shoes down when they heard Beck screaming for help as she dug. Once they got me out, she gave me CPR while one of the guys ran home to call an ambulance. She managed to get me breathing before it arrived. Once they stabilized me, they took me to the hospital but wouldn't let Beck ride with me. She ran home to call Dee to come take her to the hospital, and as she walked into the apartment, she smelled smoke. As she started down the hall, she could see the smoke was coming from her bedroom, and when she opened the door, she could see her bed was on fire. There were flames licking out from underneath, and as she turned to leave, she knocked my notebook off the side table. She quickly reached down to grab it in case we still needed it. As she did, she glanced under the bed, and when the flames shifted, she saw what looked to be the source. The Ouija board was on fire. It had flames shooting out from all sides, and the wooden planchette was also on fire and was streaking madly around the board. She got up and ran to a neighbor's apartment and asked them to call the fire department. Beck's bedroom was the only room affected, her bed was a total loss, and the carpet would have to be replaced. There was a rectangular area that had burned down to the floorboards, leaving the only evidence that the board had ever existed. I healed quickly and began to heal the relationship with my mom, as much as I could, anyway. I believe Beck lived through a curse because of my death, no matter how temporary. I also believe that the board burning meant it took on Beck's curse. That felt like sweet, karmic justice. The present. Beck and I have grown old together. What a blessing that has been. I called her once I had finished writing this to see if she would read it over to make sure my memory didn't mislead me. We talked as she read through it and we remembered those long gone days together. 
We said a prayer for those we lost and one of thanks that the two of us were spared. Beck has two kids and several grandkids, as do I. My firstborn was a boy for the first time in generations. I was still worried because my second child was a girl, but she never played either of the games. The year she turned 15, I only allowed Elena to have sleepovers at our house. That way, I could make sure she didn't come into contact with the board, just in case. Elena's first child was a girl, Jordan. She desperately wanted to name her after me, but I begged her not to name her Teresa. She finally agreed when she saw how important it was to me, but was determined to at least give her my middle name, Lee. I didn't find out she had done that until I was holding Jordan for the first time and she said, Jordan Lee, meet your grams. The minute Elena told me her name, I could hear whispers all around me as I held my beautiful granddaughter. The same whispers I knew from so long ago. They quickly faded and I prayed that it was just my imagination, but knew it was not. I next heard them when Jordan turned 15 two weeks ago, and they are getting louder every day. I can understand them now, and I know what they want, but they can't have her. They will never have one of us again, not as long as I'm alive. I hope I'm strong enough to stop them again, but if not, then I need to share all that happened with Jordan so that she will be prepared if the worst happens. Reddit felt like the best way to do that. At her age, everything she reads is online. I pray that Jordan never needs to read this, but I know that the curse has returned and is waiting impatiently for her to play. I'm moving in with Elena and Jordan. My health hasn't been good lately and it was the perfect excuse. I need to be close by. I will not allow them to have our precious girl, no matter what it takes. Beck and I are united in this fight and I know we can win. Love can defeat hatred. We proved that once and I know it can be done again. I'll update if the worst happens. I've read your comments and I bet that you could have helped us if we had only had the internet way back then. I hope we never need it, but it's wonderful to know that y'all are out there. Just in case.